0: Hand for leading us this morning in worship. That was awesome. I mean, I guess we're ready for Christmas now. I mean, I uh, I wanted to make sure Thanksgiving uh, had its due, and so, uh, you know, we're, we uh, got all the decoration done, which is great, uh, too. Uh, anybody else, um, l- like, on Friday play a game called Which of My Clothes Still Fits? Um, that's a game I played uh, on Friday after our uh, Thanksgiving, and so, um, yeah, just glad you guys are here. Um, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we're saved by Jesus' work, we're changed by Jesus' grace, and we're living on Jesus' mission. And um, that just means that we believe that we exist as a church to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and to love people. And so all, all fall, uh, we've been doing kind of what we do normally in our church, which is um, to preach right through books of the Bible, to let God's Word and let the Bible kind of set our agenda and set the outline of what we're doing. And so while we will have a Christmas series kicking off in a couple of weeks, we've got two more weeks left in this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians called Thrive, uh, Faithfulness and Flourishing. And so if you're new, if this is your first time here, um, this letter of First Thessalonians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he planted in a town called Thessalonica. Uh, And that was, uh, it's, you know, during Greek and Roman times, um, it was very pluralistic uh, in its society. It was very patriotic, and that everybody was good, faithful Romans, and so you could have a whole bunch of gods, you could worship the empire, you could do whatever you want, unless you said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is a King of Kings. And so what happened is Paul goes into this town in Thessalonica and he plants this church uh, and, and um, instantly there's just a little bit of disruption. Like, like people literally in their allegiance to Jesus I had to say, hey, uh, my allegiance is not to the world around me. I, I care about my neighbor. We're called to love uh, our neighbors. Um, and yet, Now my allegiance is to a greater king. And so it caused this this dissonance. It caused a bit of a disconnect in that these these people were were, were living in in this world, living in a world much like ours and a culture much like ours, and yet they were also set apart and and a little bit different. And and so this church had endured persecution. It had endured a lot of challenges. Uh, And Paul, in writing this letter, wanted to commend this church for being faithful, Like, hey, through it all, through all the adversity, through all these trials, you church are still here. You still have remained faithful, and that is awesome. And he's also saying, hey, and while there's much to commend for you as a church, he's saying, hey, there's also ways I think you guys can grow in faithfulness, and there's ways that you can move from just survival, but perhaps to thriving and to flourishing in all circumstances. And so what happens is when we hear this in a modern context or sometimes even if, like, um, you know, in a Christian context, we think that means that we're never going to suffer or that means that we're always going to prosper or that we're always going to have health. And we said last week in looking at the end of chapter 5 that we are to have to rejoice and thank God and be faithful in all circumstances, not always for all circumstances. Right, we don't need to be masochists that are like, hey, I'm just really glad I'm suffering right now. Like, this is so great. Like, like, no, like he's saying, hey, there's a way that you can endure. There's a way you can even flourish in those seasons. And so he's given them uh, a lot of hope. Um, he's helped kind of reset for them. Like, hey, what does it look like when Jesus comes back? You know, because a bunch of people were getting really weirded out about the news. And so everybody was thinking Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And Paul's just like, hey, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. You and I, we've been called to be faithful. We've been called to work our jobs, to love our spouses, to, to love and serve our families, to be involved in a church, to serve our communities, to, to, to be involved in, in the flourishing of the cultures that we're a part of. And so there was a reset. Additionally, he says, hey, you need to think about what your sexuality looks like. There's the way that the Roman and the pagan world did it, and the pluralistic world did it, that was, was very different than the way God had designed So He said, hey, you need to, to honor God with your body. There were comprehensive people, mind, body, and soul, and we'll see that here in a moment. And so he also said, hey, you need to work your job well. You need to, to, to live in a way, uh, he says, quietly, not silently, but live in a way where you're not actively seeking out conflict with others, but you're owning what God has called you to own and cultivating, if you will, the field that you've been, been given. And so with all of this, Paul kind of begins to end this letter, and this will be our, our last verses in First Thessalonians. Next week we'll, we'll do a whole wrap-up with Second Thessalonians. But when, when you're writing a letter to somebody and you're like, what? Like that sentence doesn't even make sense. Like, when was the last time you actually wrote a letter? You're like, well, when I sent a text message, right, and, like, like I just made sure I had a really good GIF or some dank memes or something like that, right? You're, like, I've never signed off on a text message. Like, dearest Tara, as I'm here in the grocery store, it would be nice to know which type of baking soda or baking powder I should be getting because I don't want to screw up the recipe. Sincerely, your dearest husband, Chris. I'm like, which one is it? Right? And then, like we know, like a communication, like we're like, we're so lazy now. I mean, at least I am. At this point, if somebody sends me uh, uh, even a text message, I don't respond with a yes. It's just like, oh good, there's a thumbs up emoji, you know? Oh, you sent me a meme. I'm glad I don't even have to write. Ha ha! I can just put the smiley face with the guy crying. Ha Like so, that, that's not even how we communicate. Paul, though, Paul, Paul's a writer. And he's writing this, like, a, like, official letter that, by God's grace, we're still reading a couple thousand years later. So as he begins to land the plane on his letter, these last few verses aren't just like a careless, like, goodbye, good to see you, nice to, nice to communicate with you. No, there are a carefully crafted benediction that wraps up and and, and rings out the same themes of hope and holiness, flourishing and faithfulness, that those themes have been, been just notes that have been sung all the way through this entire letter. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to finish 1 Thessalonians today, uh, verses 23 through 28. I'm going to begin with verse 23 and 24, where we're going to see that God uh, and Paul, they want us to thrive in wholeness. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it'll be up on the screen as well, says this. This is the end of this letter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so the big idea for this section is this. God's peace is what makes us whole. God's peace is what makes us whole. If you don't know your Bibles, you don't know how the the Christians, uh, how we look at the world, um, we believe that God is good. He made everything good. And then we believe sin entered the world. And, And sin is this idea of brokenness. It's this idea of not meeting the mark. It's this idea of transgressing God's law. And so in that, sin has impacted the totality of our being. It's impacted our mind in the way we think. It's impacted us at the soul level. It impacts our bodies that we realize, like, like none of us when we're injured argue with the fact that the world is fallen and broken because we have fallen and we're now broken, right? And, and so I believe, whether you're a Christian or not, that you and I understand the concept of sin, brokenness, separation, all the way down in our bones, all the way at the soul level, that there's some disconnect, there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong, maybe at times when you look at yourself in the mirror, there's something wrong with your relationships. And in that it causes us a state of conflict because there's a longing where we don't want things to always be this way. And so what he's saying here is that sin separates, and it separates us, we've always said, from God, separates us from one another, so we harm one another, right? And it even separates us from ourselves in shame. And so we have to have some way to deal with sin, deal with brokenness. And so sin can have a staining effect, and that it literally impacts everything. Just this morning, literally just this morning on the way in. I wasn't like waiting or hoping for more um, analogies, but it happened. Um, we we went to, stopped at Starbucks. I got one of my daughters a hot chocolate. She dumped it uh, and spilled it a little bit on the um, counter there at Starbucks. Uh, and my other daughter went out to gr- reach and grab her uh, drink, and she had a white sweater. And just like, I mean, I don't know, like her height or whatever it was, literally just like ran the whole thing through hot chocolate. This is why you don't buy children white clothing, right? Uh, Right? We all know this now. Rookie move on our part. We've been parents for a long time, right? And so it's like, right away, it's like, oh, how how can we clean this up? And we're dabbing it. And like, you know, I did the best. Like, it's going to be okay, and eventually get washed. But there's this idea, right, that when there's something wrong, when there's something broken, it has a staining effect. And what Paul says here in writing this letter, may the God of peace sanctify you completely, he's using a word that we don't use often. We don't usually use the word sanctify, But it's a word that means cleanliness or holiness. And and at its richest concept, it does mean to make us look more and more like Jesus. But what he's saying is the answer for human sin, the answer for sin, if sin stains, our God sanctifies. Where our sin stains, our God sanctifies. And so because we are people who trust in Jesus work on our behalf, meaning like we believe that Jesus lived the perfect life. We believe Jesus died the death that we deserve. We believe that Jesus rose again. That that we as Christians, we rely on Jesus' work. We rest on Jesus' work. That what he's saying here is that if we're relying on Jesus' work, that ultimately we are gonna be seen in position with God as blameless. He's saying when God sees you now, if your faith is in Jesus, he does not see you. He sees perfect Jesus in your place as your substitute. And so what this means, he says, yeah, a God of peace sanctifies you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. And so we begin to see, the, on the one hand, the comprehensive nature of sin, but we also see the comprehensive nat- nature of our salvation. See, when we, often we think about Christianity or we think about the gospel or we think about religion, we just think about our soul. And maybe, maybe, maybe you get to the place where you're like, okay, I, I know enough about Jesus, I know enough about Christianity that I want to be saved and that just means I don't want to go to hell when I die, I want to go to heaven. And so we think about our, our soul's eternity and we don't think about how our soul's doing now. We think about our, our body maybe for eternity but not how, how it's doing now. We, we think about our mind and he's saying, hey, you need to think about your being, your soul, your body, your mind comprehensively. Because God thinks about them comprehensively. Like God cares about your body. God cares about what you put in your body. God cares about how you, how you steward your body. God cares about your mind and, and your thoughts and, and where they're going. And, and, and if, are they leading you to greater hope? Are they leading you to greater holiness? Are they leading you to greater despair? Are they leading you to, 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 to sin? and he absolutely cares about the condition of your soul. And so all of this matters to God because all of your whole being matters to God. And so Paul here begins to, as he's ending this letter, says, hey, I want you to be reminded for your mind, body, and soul to think about the characteristics of God. And when he does, I think it's amazing here that as he's closing this letter, he doesn't end with reminders of God's justice. He doesn't end with a theology of death. He doesn't end with like, you know, which political party you should be a part of. He doesn't uh, end with um, whether you need to be condemning those around you. He just merely ends with the characteristic of, ma- of God's peace. The, he says actually, the God of peace himself, meaning meaning this, God is one who brings us peace. And God himself embodies peace. And that, because he's the source of peace, he's the one that gets to define peace. And I think that, even as I've said peace a few times, I, I think it's an elusive concept for us. We talk about this sometimes when we talk about love, right? That love is not just a feeling or an emotion, it's, it's, it's an action, right? How God describes it, that God embodies love. In the same way, I think we think about peace, in a very individualistic way. We think to ourselves, do I feel peaceful? And then maybe even when you think about the idea of peace, it it certainly doesn't involve anybody else, right? You think, what's the most peaceful moment you could have? You're like, well, maybe I'll wake up before anybody else wakes up. I'll hike to the top of, of Pilchuck. I'll be the only one up there. I'll bring out my little, little burner for some coffee. You know, maybe, maybe if you know, you're Christian, you open up your Bible, and you've got that picture as the sun is rising of your Bible and a coffee mug at the top of a mountain, and, and all of a sudden you went from like 100 followers on Instagram to like 104, right? And you're like, look at how, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag peaceful. Right? Our whole concept of peace is individualistic. And, and, and so, no, peace is deeper than that. And, and, and we think, oh no, peace is just those moments after the kids go to bed. right? I mean, we, we live in such a conflicted world that we can experience great heights, uh, great joys, and also great despair and sorrow at the same time. My family, we, we just experienced this in the last, um, gosh, I, I want to say now it's like 30 hours. We came home from Thanksgiving. Uh, everybody was so tired. Uh, we fell asleep, uh, and around 11 o'clock, the drain for our washing machine came out. Are you aware that this is a thing, like your washing machine drains? and But, you know, we were behind on laundry, so we had loads going. And we didn't find out that the drain was out until our daughters down below in their room said, Daddy, Daddy, like, they run upstairs at 11 o'clock, which is always kind of scary, um, because we're a, a family that's quite nervous about home invasion all the time, um, and so um, they, they run, dad, dad!" there's water coming out of my light fixtures, and then, and then my son comes out of his room, which is next to the utility room, and just splish, splash, like, I can hear it, and it's like, this is awful, this is the worst thing that has happened. Uh, and, and I hate that our house is 70 years old uh, and these things just happen and the water is just leaking uh, everywhere. And so, you know, it's two hours of cleanup. I'm on w- the phone with insurance in the middle of the night. Uh, thankfully, they got an app. I'm uploading photos, doing the whole thing. Uh, and, and, and it's just like this, this com- like I want Jesus to come back now, right? I'm done. And then merely like 18 hours later, I'm in Husky Stadium. And I'm in the 300 level, and I can see, like, Washington, and I can see Mount Rainier, and I can see Seattle, but I don't see any tents because downtown's in the distance, um, right? Uh, and, and I watch the sun going across, and, and by God's grace, everything is right. And the Huskies have won, like, the Apple Cup again, and they're 12-0. and 0. They're perfect. It's amazing. Yay! I know, us clapping. You can clap. It's fine. You no, know, um, I heard plenty of clapping yesterday. We're here for Jesus, not for the Huskies. I literally had to restrain myself from not wearing a Husky T-shirt uh, today to preach. But, like, this is life. It, there's joys, uh, and there's, there's lows. And, and we want peace. Peace is, is not just constant highs, but it is a lack of lows. There's, there's wholeness that comes. We want to see, thing, we have a longing for things to be better than they are. And maybe you're like, no, no, I, I have some of that. I feel like a sense of inner peace, and, and what I'm mostly worried about is conflicts in the world. Okay. Well, when we think about peace, we think that about peace internationally as something that's been brokered, right? So like in the last week in, in Israel uh, with, with Gaza, you know, they had the terrorist attack uh, in October. Israel responds, uh, and, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, the world's been clamoring. Major capitals filled with people protesting for—they're for, not asking for peace. They're saying, cease fire. We just want to cease fire. Well, great, They're no longer firing. It it lasted literally, literally it lasted for 15 minutes. Some hostages got exchanged. And do you think today, right now, there's any less a state of conflict between Israel and Palestine than there was six weeks ago? They're not, even for that 15 minutes, there wasn't peace. It's just, we're not actively firing at each other. Because peace is always more than the absence of conflict. It's never less than that. Peace As defined by God, is wholeness. It is communion with the God who made you. It is alignment and integrity, mind, body, and soul, with the way you and I have been designed to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another, to be in relationship with the world that has been created. And so there's a place of deep longing. You and I were made we, we do believe this as Christians that we, were cre- that we are created beings, that God is our creator. You and I were made with and for a purpose. And when we in sin are walking away from that purpose, or we've rejected God, or maybe just like, ah, I just don't even think about God, we have then walked away from how we've been created to be. We are then out of alignment, we are in a state of conflict. And it's a conflict that requires resolution. It's why we feel angst. It's why even at times of great, great joy that we still, still in the back of our minds know, yep, but the other shoe's gonna drop. Yep, it, if something else is gonna happen. That everything ends up being tainted. And again, that's because of sin. Sin entered the world through our rejection of the God of peace. We declared independence from God. And when you d- declare your independence from the God who, it says, the God of peace who is peace, you do not become more peaceful. You find yourself in greater conflict. And so because of sin, honestly, like, we don't even understand what peace feels like. Because peace was intended to be the natural relationship that we had with God, and with one another. And so it's a foreign concept. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, what gets in the way of you experiencing peace? Like really, what, what's, what, are, the, what are your pain points? What's your point of conflict or contention? And I think also, often we start to look outside of ourselves. Well, if society was just a little bit different, Right? If we were all just a little more prosperous, well, not all of us. If I was just a little more prosperous, I would be peaceful. If, if every election went my way, if every cultural shift shifted in a direction that I believed or that we believed was positive, then, then I would feel at peace. And because that's not happening, I can't and won't feel peace. So we look at societal conflict. We look at maybe, maybe, maybe you are carrying shame. Maybe something's been done to you and it hurts and it stains. Maybe you've done something and you, there's, this, there's this feeling of shame and this disconnect and so you find yourself in inner conflict. Okay. I know that there's something about me that's broken. I know that there's things I've done that aren't right. I know that there's shame that I've felt. I know there's inadequacies that I don't want exposed. Right? All of us have some sense of pretender um, uh, uh, in us where we don't wanna be exposed. Imposter syndrome. And so man, if I just just had better inner peace, if I could just be reconciled to myself, then everything would be okay. Maybe it's relational conflict. I will be in peace if they would just, you know, figure out what they've done to hurt me. And then if they could figure themselves out, then I'll be fine. And so when we say, no, okay, you know what? Actually, I realize that these people aren't gonna figure their thing out, so I don't want toxic people in my life, so we just cut them off. And we call it setting boundaries. Now, hey, to be clear, sometimes there's healthy boundaries that need to be set, but man, I think that we are a people that that so rarely look at what we bring to a conflict that we just assume if there is one, it must be someone else. And so we deal with it by just like ending relationships, ghosting one another, but the conflict, the one I don't think any of us actually want to think about, the one we don't want to give any attention to, is the fact that in our sin, we actually are in a position of conflict with God. Like there's some tension. But again, God made you. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. And in that rejection, in our sin, in our brokenness, we found ourselves disconnected from peace. And so we do things in our minds to try to overcome that conflict without actually reconciling ourselves with God. And so we do things like, well, okay, no, I'm gonna, if I think about God, I believe God is love, and I believe I define what love is, and God agrees with me all the time on everything. Let me just tell you: if that's who you worship, you're not worshiping God; you're worshiping yourself. And so we think, well, you know, God's like us; He sees things the way I do, or He, I, I, this is how I want God to act, or, or we think, you know what? No, God actually isn't that great. I'm going to reconcile the conflict with God by I'm going to stand in judgment over God, and I'm going to say, hey, no, God's gotten it wrong; God doesn't know what He's doing, or God's absent, or God's not engaged. I should be in charge. We should be in charge. And this is how we answer this, this conflict. And so we try to solve it by changing who God is. And so if we could start with, if you could start with a place, I'm not telling you I'm always there, but if we could start with a place of humility to recognize maybe perhaps somehow we are a member of society and we contribute to societal culture, that, that we do bring sin to the table, that we have been involved in relationships where we've hurt other people, and that if we are in conflict with God, it's not God's fault. And if we start with a place of humility, then we have an understanding that, that we don't need to change God. In fact, we don't even need to change our circumstances. God is hoping, and God desires to make a change in you to change your heart, to change your disposition towards him, towards yourself, and towards others. And so what Paul is saying in this this last verse, where he says, now may the God, 23, and may the God of peace and health himself sanctify you completely, and your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, my prayer is, God who is peace would change you completely. That's, that's God's will for us. I, I know this because just a little earlier in Thessalonians, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, at the beginning of chapter four, he says God's will for you is this, your sanctification. that Again, your growth, your change, your holiness. That, that God's peace is sanctifying, that God in Christ has brought peace, that true peace doesn't come from the absence of conflict, but it comes in God bringing total victory over your sin over the separation that we feel with God. And so I think it's just amazing that we find ourselves in sin in a place of conflict with God, and God's response could absolutely be at any moment to stop your heartbeat, to stop your breath, to have fire rain down from the sky, whatever it is. And God's response in seeing the conflict in seeing your and my and our hopelessness to overcome the conflict, to, to actually even surrender ourselves in the conflict, his answer is to send Jesus. And that, that's what we celebrate. At Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of God's son, Jesus Christ, into human history. A light shining in the darkness. God himself showing up. God showing up in the hard places, in the difficult places. Showing up to a family that's poor and marginalized. Showing up without influence. Showing up in a way that says, whatever you have dealt with, the Bible says, Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way that we are. Anything that you have dealt with, Jesus Christ has dealt with. And he's overcome it without sin. So we don't say, okay, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. No, no, we say, because I can't do it, Jesus has done it for me. Now if I lay down my pride and quit trying to fix and solve myself, and I instead rely on Jesus, the God of peace, who sanctifies us completely, then there's opportunities for peace and wholeness in different places in our lives. God's peace is comprehensive. So he said mind, body, and soul. There's a... um, Famous Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, from the last century, Uh, he was also, I think, involved in government as well, and he has this famous quote about Jesus, and he says this, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus Christ is sovereign over all. God's path for peace Is Jesus Christ taking your defeat on the cross, taking my defeat on the cross, taking our defeat on the cross so that you and I, in our surrender, do not have to be crushed, but instead get welcomed in to the family of God, no longer rebels, but citizen saints, heirs to a new kingdom, sons and daughters of the king that God's answer for the conflict between him and us is for him to take the L so that you and I can receive, it says, the righteousness of Christ. What that means is to receive the victory of Christ. That again, like I said, God doesn't see your defeat, your sin when he looks at you. He sees Jesus' perfection in your place. And he says that makes you new so that you now, you and I now, we can live out new lives with a sense of peace. Are we in a broken world? Yes. Will we still feel shame at times? Yes. Will we have relational brokenness? Yes. Will our bodies suffer? Yeah, they're gonna suffer. But in all circumstances, we can know that God is still in charge, God is still in control, and that the greatest conflict that we face between us and God has been resolved when our faith and trust is in Jesus. So now that allows us to walk in humility as we work to restore and renew our marriages, as we work to disciple our kids in the next generation to to love God and to love people. As we seek to evangelize, we want to see more and more people know the grace and peace and mercy of Jesus Christ. As we plant more and more churches hoping to to see God's kingdom expand, as we deal with, with incredible and wild circumstances on the news, every single week it's something different. We get to have that settled sense of peace that God is still in control, that all will be resolved when Jesus comes back. And so what are you still holding on to in your life that you think if you had control over, you would have peace? Where is it that a conflict needs to end because you are gonna be the one that walks in humility? That you are gonna be the one that surrenders? part of your life are you purposely keeping from God thinking thinking that somehow you know, if God was in control of this it wouldn't be to my benefit like God I'm going to trust you for my eternal soul but I'm not going to trust you with my finances God I believe you're the God of peace and, and I want to go you know, I wanna be, I'm going to be in heaven with you for eternity but I'm certainly not going to have God be involved in my sexuality because God doesn't want good things for me no our God is the God of peace the God of wholeness He is for you. So sometimes what looks like a path of greater defeat, surrendering areas of our life, is really us getting to go walk on a path of joy and peace and hope and ultimately glory. where We are people who are being sons and daughters of the king and we are becoming, that word sanctifying, cleansing, holiness, that, that we are being and becoming at the same time. That as Christians, it's okay for us to say, I, "I'm I'm settled with who I am in Christ, and I want to and I want to grow, and I want to change." See this idea of being and becoming, I think, is an important one. Um, Seventeen years ago right? Uh, Our twins are born, right? And they're less than uh, three pounds each. Uh, I think two pounds twelve, two pounds thirteen ounces. I nicknamed them Qdoba and Chipotle um, because they were the size of little burritos, um, right? And we were in Texas, right? And and, um, so, yeah, they're like little burrito babies. At the moment they were born, actually before they were born, they were my daughters. I was their father. And that moment, seven, you know, 17 years ago, they're my daughters, I'm their father. That that's none of that's changed. None of that will change in the being of our identity of who we are in our relationship with one another. What has changed is there a lot more than three pounds now. Okay, they've grown. Like, hopefully, I'm a better dad than I was 17 years ago. I'm not going to ask them like in front of everybody. They can tell me later, right? But, but they've grown. They're, they're young women now. They're doing jazz choir and cross country, and, and they did the, uh, uh, the photo booth for us for, for the decor team, so that you could all take family photos over Christmas time. They never stop being my daughters, but they've grown. We never stop being God's sons and daughters when our faith is in Jesus. But by God's grace, the, the longer we're in the family, we grow. And that's what his desire for, Paul's desire is for that church. That's what God's desire is for you and me, to keep growing. To finish, that that God will finish what he started. I love this last verse, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So all of a sudden he's saying, hey, well, God will change you. You're going to grow. You're going to need peace. Mind, body, and soul. And then to say, hey, God's going to be the one that does it. God's gonna be one of the, Paul says something similar in Philippians 1, 6 to that church. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so as a a pastor, as a Christian, as a person, yeah, I'm gonna tell you, we need to pray. We need to read God's word. We need to serve. We need to be involved in church. Like these are all normal things to say. It's because these are the ways that God has prescribed for us To to foster the growth he wants to do in our in our mind, bodies, and souls. And so in these next verses, he transitions from God's character and promises to the church's call and commission. Verses 25 and 27. Keep going. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I'll tell you what that means in a second. Don't start doing that. Okay. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. So he said, hey, trust God, God of peace. He's the one that's gonna change you. He's the one that's gonna sanctify you completely. As you're running your race, you don't need to worry about whether you're gonna finish. God's gonna be the one that finishes for you. Rely and rest on God and his character. And he says, okay, now here's how you should pray and care for one another. Paul, as a leader of a church, tells the brothers and sisters at Thessalonica, pray for us. As your pastor, I'll just say, hey, pr- pray for me. Leaders of the church, pray for leaders of the church. Pray for, for churches. He's saying, hey, your life as a Christian is not an individual. You will pray for people. People will pray for you. We'll be interconnected. We'll be interdependent on one another as we keep pointing one another to God. As we petition God on behalf of others that leaders pray for their people and leaders are also people who need to be prayed for. And then he says, hey, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. What is he saying here? He's saying, whole people, thriving disciples, you're not gonna get to be an individual any longer. You are part of a gospel community. You are part of a local church. You are part of, like, the big family of God, yes, and, Lord willing, you're part of an immediate family of God. There's some church that you call home, and they're your people. And he's saying, and they greet them with a holy kiss. What he's saying is, it was cultural at the time. That is literally how they would greet when other kisses on the cheek and all that stuff. We don't do that. This is the Northwest. We don't even look up when people walk by. You, you, try smiling at somebody at Starbucks and don't have them be like, what was that? Weirdo, right? No, no we don't to do that. We're, we're cold up here, right? And no. So we're, we're not talking, you know, don't, 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 our greeters are not going to start kissing you on the way in. Maybe if you want, you can have a sanctified side hug. Okay, right? Ask for consent first, please, okay? What he's saying, the point of what this verse is, you're part of an immediate family, so start looking at one another like brothers and sisters. Start loving and caring for and engaging with one another as brothers and sisters in the same family. It's just a call to love. It's a call to care. It's a call to be engaged. And then he says, hey, I'm going to put you under oath before the Lord. Have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. He's saying, hey, keep being rooted in God's word. Keep being rooted in God's word. That as much as the world wants to go a whole lot of other directions, you stay rooted in God's word. You're being prayed for. You're praying for others. You're loving one another as family. You're being rooted in God's word. Then you've got an opportunity to thrive. You've got an opportunity to grow. You and I have an opportunity to endure in all circumstances. You and I have an opportunity to thrive in all circumstances. Whole people, people of peace, people experiencing peace are constantly connected to the well of living water that is God's word. That God's word is there to refresh, to renew, to encourage, to point us to Jesus. And then, last verse as we close out 1 Thessalonians, he says this, Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul ends where abundant life begins. The unmerited favor of God in Jesus Christ. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. Something you haven't earned, a gift that has been given to you, something that's been imparted to you. That's how he started the letter with grace and peace. He's ending it with grace and peace because that's where life and peace is gonna be found. He's unpacked a lot over these last five chapters about the truth of the gospel and how it applies to our life and what does faith in Jesus looks like. And now he's just saying, hey, my greatest hope for you, church and Christian, is that you would experience and know and rest and be rooted in the unmerited favor it comes when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.